Amen. How are you guys feeling this morning? Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. All right. Well, if you will, you can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to pray before we get started. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for every person that you brought here this morning. Thank you, Father, for divine appointments and connections and encounters, relationships. Lord, we thank you for the family, the family of God, the spiritual family. Yeah, Holy Spirit, just ask that you would impart that which we need to each hearer, to each person that's come here this morning. I ask you for a gift of the Holy Spirit. I ask that you supply each one exactly what you need them to receive from you. We invite that. We invite that spirit of breakthrough just to come upon homes and families, hearts, spirits. We invite you to wash over our mind, our will, and our emotions, our soul, our whole being right now. Strengthen us with might, I pray, in the inner man. Yeah, bless. Help us to have revelation in your word like never before. Pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to come upon us. Yeah, thank you, Lord. So good. Okay, so we're continuing from where we left off last week. We are looking at Paul, the apostle, and we looked at his apostolic prayer in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 17 to verse 19. And so I'm just going to go ahead and read that. I'm just going to start in verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you might know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saint, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay, so last week, just to kind of review, um, we looked at the vision of this house, and that is to be a house of prayer. Um, Our vision is to be a place of uh, an intercessory house. And so um, we looked at the power of, of praying God's word, the heart, the purpose, and the theme of apostolic prayer, namely that is, it is for the growth, the strength, and the maturing of the church. We looked at what happens 
in the power of a strengthened, empowered church. In that, God's primary plan to reach the lost, to impact a city, to touch the nations, is by anointing his church with power and with love. When the church walks in her true identity and calling, a foundation is laid for unbelievers to come to Jesus and for society to be transformed. And so we see uh, throughout the word of God, we see these apostolic prayers, these prophetic promises, um, and we see that primarily the apostles um, and Jesus, they are praying and interceding for the church to rise up in power and anointing to be matured, to be strengthened. And so the summation of uh, Paul's, the, of this apostolic prayer in Ephesians is that the Father would give his people an increased understanding by means of revelatory, intimate knowledge that would cause them to experience glory in three expressions. And that is one, the hope of his calling, the glory of his inheritance hidden in believers, and thirdly, walking in his power. So I'm just kind of reviewing last week. Um, in Ephesians, we looked at the most comprehensive statement, one of the most comprehensive statements in the Bible describing how God lavishes the glory of his grace upon us, his people, is in here at Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. And here, uh, his, his glory, referring to God, is referred here by the Apostle Paul, revealed as spiritual blessings. Specifically, he chose us in Christ before the creation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He predestined us to be adopted as sons by Jesus Christ unto himself according to God's good pleasure. He has made us accepted in the beloved. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, the riches of grace, the mystery of his will revealed, the seal of the Holy Spirit of promise. You are chosen, you are adopted, you are accepted, you are redeemed, forgiven, grace imparted, mystery revealed, and the Spirit sealing you with promise. The necessity to uh, see these things through the lens of a supernatural perception um, is what Paul is interceding that we would attain. We need supernatural perception to see and attain an experiential knowledge of what has been supplied for us in Christ. There's an experiential revelatory knowledge that is to grasp what is the hope of his calling. That's what we looked at last week. Um, in Colossians 1.9, Paul says, for, for this reason, since the day that I heard about you, I have not stopped praying for you. I ask, we ask continually that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, that you might, one, live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Two, that you might have great endurance and patience. And three, that you would give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. These verses are so packed 
with prophetic promise that it will take all of eternity and the ages to come to fully unveil what in Christ we have access to by the Spirit. It will literally take the ages to, to come for him to fully unveil the mystery of Christ and the grace that he has made available to us. The hope of his calling. It is into the fellowship of his Son. It is into eternal life, into kingdom and glory, into marvelous light, into eternal glory in Christ, into glory and excellence. This is the hope of your calling. To, and to have the assurance and the clarity of our calling and the purpose in, in, uh, of our future and to live, to know, to see the hope, to live in fellowship with God in glory forever. That is the hope to which you've been called. And I shared this last week, but why does Paul pray this? Why is he interceding? He, he's pleading with the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, that that would be made known to us. Because if we see that, we might just make it in between. Because we have a great need for endurance. And secondly, it is to know what are the riches of his glory in the inheritance in the saints. So what we have in verses 3 to 14 is a comprehensive list of who we are in Christ, the spiritual blessings that have been made available to us. And what we see is that Paul, he's turning from his, in his letter from a comprehensive, a foundational, and eternally deep, theological, theologically rich language, he turns to an apostolic prayer, now petitioning and pleading for spiritual illumination to come upon God's people. Number one, and this is why, because when we see with greater insight into the hope of his calling, it possesses us with a prayer to pray with a, a greater fervency for the church, a greater fervency for the bride of Christ to fully grasp her destiny as God's inheritance. We, we need both the foundational knowledge that is, it is biblically saturated and sound combined with a revelatory experience and understanding. And that word, that word knowledge in the knowledge of him is this word epignosis, and it means the experiential knowledge. It is to perceive with your heart. And when, when Paul prays that the eyes of our understanding or the eyes of our heart would be open, he is asking the Father that to perceive with our heart is it's to capture not just information or facts, but it's to unearth and it's to savor and it's to be overcome by the beauty and the worth and the very glory of the truth in a way that transforms us. Because our intellect cannot fully grasp the glory and the beauty, but the heart can grasp it. The heart can go where the mind can't. And so it's the epignosis knowledge, it's, the, it's a weighty knowledge. It's closely related to yada. And yada is the knowledge that Adam had with Eve, that Adam knew his wife Eve. God uses that kind of knowledge to describe the way that he wants us to know him, to grow in an experiential, revelatory knowledge of Christ. The epignosis, it carries such a weight with it that twice uh, this word is used, both times, um, and it declares more than once that it's better to not have the epignosis, it's better to not have this knowledge and to live a life of ignorance 
than to have this knowledge and to turn away from it. In 2 Peter 2.20 and Hebrews 26, the writer of Hebrews says, it's better, and, and Peter says, it's better that you walk in ignorance than to have this knowledge and to turn back to a life of ignorance, to turn back to a life of sin. Uh, Philippians 1.9, I pray that your love might, might abound as yet more and more in the knowledge and in all judgment. Colossians 3.10, having put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. 1 Timothy 2.4, God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge, experience of the truth. Daniel 11.3, we see this, that those that shall know epignosis their God, they shall be made strong and they shall do great exploits. In Ephesians 3.9, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That is, there's an invitation to know by experience what you and I could never comprehend with our mind. To know, to know that which passes knowledge. But we need the eyes of our heart. We need supernatural perception, illumination. We need the eyes of our heart open to see Christ, to have the hope of his calling and to know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Jesus Christ, who is God, who became a man, who lived a perfect life, who suffered agony by taking of God's wrath for sin, the one upon whom our very sins were imputed and condemned in his flesh, Jesus who died, who resurrected, who ascended, all of this, we believe it's true. Amen? This is the gospel, but what for? For what? Why did, why did Christ, the Son of God, go through so much agony and pain and suffering in this, in this life? Why did he become a man to live, to die, to be resurrected into a sin? Christ is to be given in return for his suffering riches of glory through a purchased inheritance that he has made. But the question is, where is what Jesus purchased? Um, so, before I, was, before I was married to Michaela, this is my wife, if you didn't know, we were working at Taste, yes, she's amazing. We were working at Taste and See, and um, there's a coffee shop here. So when I knew that I wanted to marry her, uh, of course, you know, so Taste and See was just minimum wage job. So you had to work a lot of hours to get a substantial amount of money saved for something like a ring or a honeymoon. <laughs> so I remember actually talking, I was gonna, uh, so we kind of picked out a ring, but officially we didn't decide which one because I wanted it to be a surprise. And then I was saving up for the honeymoon and I remember even asking my brother Josiah, how much do you think I should save up? Um, I want to go to the mountains, get a cabin, all this stuff, having it planned out. So anyways, um, when you have a vision for something, and Chris Valentin says this, it's that vision gives pain a purpose. And so I had a vision, I'm going to be working hours and I'm working for this to purchase a ring, to have a great honeymoon, to um, be able to provide and so there's a vision for something. How many of you guys have ever been in a place where you worked hard for something, 
Um, you, you're working hard and you get a check and then a couple weeks later you look back and you're like, man, where's all the money? Where, where's the money at? Because um, Dave Ramsey said, unless you put a name on the dollar, you always wonder where it went. So you look back and it's easy, it just goes like that. Um, but when I was working, I had a vision, this is what I'm working toward, I'm going to get this ring, I'm going to save up this amount of money and we're going to go to the mountains and we're going to have an awesome honeymoon, which we did. But it took a lot of work. When that ring was purchased, the Airbnb was reserved. All of that money, it was placed into something. And if you were to say, where's all that money? Where'd all your hard work go? I would say, all of that hard work, all of that money, it's been put into a ring. It's been put into my marriage. It's been put into the honeymoon. Right? So where's the money at? It's now wrapped up. It's wrapped up in this ring. It's wrapped up in a prize. So I use that to illustrate where is what Jesus purchased in his life, in his death, in his agony, in his resurrection? Where's what, uh, where's the reward of his suffering? The reward of his suffering and the purchase and the inheritance is in the saints, in the believers. It's been hidden in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's exactly what this is saying. It says that you would get supernatural perception to see the riches of glory of his inheritance in the saints. Why did the Father put all of the riches of glory of Christ in you? Precisely for this purpose, to reveal the, the very glory of his grace. You see, what happened at the cross, it was so cosmic and eternally reaching that the glory of the inheritance of Christ hidden in the saints, the ramifications of what happened at the cross will forever be unfolding in the ages to come. Ephesians 3, 7, it says, I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am least, I am less than least of all the Lord's people. This grace was given to me to preach the Gentiles, to the Gentiles, the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for the ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was now, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers, the authorities, in the heavenly realms according to the eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in him and through faith that we might approach God with freedom and confidence I ask you therefore do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you these are for your glory Colossians 1 24 I now rejoice in my suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the affliction of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me to fulfill the word of God. The mystery, again, which has been hidden from ages and from generations, has now been revealed to his saints. To them that God willed to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we might present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I labor, striving according to his working, 
which works in me mightily. So the Father has taken the riches of the glory of Christ and he has invested that into the purchased, redeemed, the church. It's, and this revelation, it's, it's not so much the revelation of who we are. It's the revelation of who he is in us. It's Paul praying, I, I, I'm again in labor until Christ be formed within you. This revelatory experiential knowledge, it does not merely produce encounters with Christ. It produces as the eyes of our spirit are open to see the inheritance in the saints. It produces that very nature and likeness within us. That is, heaven is not just a future reality. Heaven is an eternal reality. And this knowledge is a knowledge that wells within us into everlasting life. John 17, 3, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's an eternal knowledge, meaning that in the present, it is the knowledge of Christ that leads and wells into everlasting life. This is eternity. We touch eternity as the eyes of our spirit are open to grasp that knowledge. And it's upon this eternal reality that we set, Paul said, set your affections on the things above. The spirit of wisdom and revelation is an increasing, it's, a, it's a, something that is progressing and increasing and, and intended to expand within us. And to the degree that we receive uh, maturing spiritual insight into this, to that degree, we will begin to unlock the riches of that glory. And that is to, to manifest our destiny and future as Jesus' inheritance, to, as Daniel said, to do exploits. And number two, to, it's to perceive the value and the love that the Father of glory has in us as the very reward of Jesus. Um, Paul is, I believe, making a reference here to the revelation that Moses had in Deuteronomy 32.9, and that is, he says, the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. Powerful, powerful language. That the riches of his glory of his inheritance is both hidden in us and it is itself believers as the redeemed possession of Jesus. In other words, you were the joy that was set before him, the crown that he pressed through the cross to attain. Um, we see this in that the Father has chosen to give to Jesus a bride that is making herself ready. And in John 15, 9, Jesus makes this profound, powerful, transformative statement. He says, as the Father loved me, I have also loved you. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Song of Solomon 4.9. You have ravished my heart, my sister, my bride. And Song of Solomon 7.10. I am my beloved's. His desire is toward me. How do we overcome um, burnout and discouragement and a cold heart and a passive heart? 
We overcome these things with revelation, experience, knowledge of who we are as Christ's inheritance and the everlasting love that he bestows upon us. Why would God hide the reward of Jesus' sufferings in the saints? And I'm going to answer that question again with one more passage, 2 Corinthians 4. Why would he hide it in you? This is what Paul says. He says, we don't preach ourselves, but we preach Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is God that commanded the light to shine out of the darkness. He's speaking of creation, and he uses that to illustrate who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And this is it right here. But we have this treasure hidden in earthen vessels. That's you. That's the human frailty in the flesh that you walk in. Treasure hidden in earthen vessels for this purpose, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So God took the riches of glory and he hid it in human frailty and flesh that the excellence of power might be demonstrated. And therefore, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, 8, therefore we are hard pressed on every side, yet we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus might also be manifest in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but life in you. This apostolic prayer in Ephesians, Lord, don't let them live be full, be, uh, below the full revelation of who they carry, that is the glory that is shown in the face of Jesus Christ. Don't let them live below the price that you paid for them to carry that glory. And furthermore, let them see, let them perceive the value of their destiny, their value of their identity as the very prize, the very inheritance of Christ. Um, no matter how our advanced our world becomes in technology, in artificial intelligence, in information, sophistication, no matter where this world goes, the knowledge of the glory of God, the surpassing greatness of his power, will remain the greatest treasure and the envy of the ages. And Jesus himself, he said that, truly I say to you, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, move from here to there and it shall move, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Have you guys ever seen a mustard seed? Is Teresa here? Teresa knows. She was handing out mustard seeds at a healing rooms. Mustard seeds, extremely small. Certainly every Christian has at least a mustard seed of faith. What is Jesus saying? He's declaring that within each of us, even the least, we have something inside of us that can move and shake mountains and nations. Even the least of us can move can move the mountains. Even the least of us can do extraordinary exploits through Jesus. The problem is we need the eyes of our heart enlightened to see. True faith is not faith in our faith, it's faith by beholding Christ. We're not transformed when we see who we are, we're transformed when we see who Christ is in us. 
Hebrews 11:6. without faith is impossible to please God. But he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that seek him. True faith is, is more than believing what the Bible says. It's more than believing that God exists. It's believing that he is. It's a, pres- it's a, re- it's a truth that is it's a present truth. That is, we must see the depths of the love in the cross, but go beyond the cross to see him in the power of his resurrection. Seeing him as he is today in this present moment, as, first, as Ephesians declares in Paul's prayer, above all rule, authority, and dominion. Second Peter 1, verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and your election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an interest, entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent, thank you, Casey, to remind you always of these things, though you know and you are established in this present truth. Truth is, it's living, breathing, and it's something that is present and must be kept before us. It is to taste and to see, and even with a little measure of power towards us, the results are explosive. As the body of Christ begins to see what's the man Christ living that has taken residence inside of us. Um, So I want to close with this, uh, this verse from Revelation chapter 21. It says, and it's speaking of the heavenly city. And it says that it has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine upon it because the glory of God has illumined it and its lamp is the Lamb. Jesus then gives us another apostolic prayer known as the Lord's Prayer. And he says to pray in this way, Our Father, hallowed be your name. Father, glorify your name. Glorify thy name. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that is the prayer of and the cry of Jesus and it's the apostolic prayer and it's the thrust and the mandate that's been given to us and that God's kingdom, the reality that exists in his world would be manifest here and that is that the glory of the Lord would illuminate us and illuminate everything around us in our homes and that the lamp of our life and our world would be the Lamb of God. Look to the Lamb. And in Revelation 4 and 21, we read that this city of, this heavenly city, it's made of gold and crystals and precious stones. And if you look at these stones and you study them, we see that each one of these, they, they refract light and they're reflective in nature. You and I, birthed and and created in the image of Christ, you and I are are created to reflect glory, to reflect the illuminating glory, to reflect beauty, to reflect Christ, shown in the, uh, to reflect his glory, shown in the face of Christ. Amen. So let's stand up, if you will. As we begin to see even a portion of 
the glory, it possesses us to begin to intercede that the church would grasp this vision. Because we believe that when the church sees Jesus in his glory, that we will begin to reflect that very nature and that we will rise up into a glorious church, possessing the riches of glory of his inheritance in the saints. So Father, we're asking you this morning, Father of glory, give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the hope of his calling, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened to know the hope of what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and to know what is the exceeding, exceedingly great or surpassing greatness of his power toward us to believe, who believe according to the working of his mighty power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and when he seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. So Lord, I'm asking you for the exceedingly greatness of your power to be open to us as we perceive you, as we know you, as we come into intimate knowledge. This is the great quest of our heart, uh, the great request and the greatest quest of our life and our hearts. And it's simply, Lord, we want to know you. And we want to get to the core of why we're here. I don't know if you guys ever feel this way. You just, does it ever just dawn on you? And you're constantly having to realign and ask the question, why am I here? And just kind of floating around. But we have to get to that core. <laughs> Even as uh, when is the core of it is why we exist, and that is to proclaim the excellencies of him that has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's worthy. And this is why he's worthy, because he created all things, and by his word they exist. And so we give his breath back. We proclaim that worth. And we declare that, Lord, your glory would cover, the knowledge of your glory would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We ask that, Lord, you would invite us into the fellowship. Yeah, I'm just going to wait in the Holy Spirit just for a moment here. Holy Spirit, thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you. We need more. I thank you for what you, what you did on Friday. Thank you for the lives that you touched. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing in this house. Thank you for the hunger and the passion and the pursuit that this beautiful family is demonstrating. Thank you for this house. Thank you for this family, Lord. We invite you, Spirit of Wisdom, to come. Spirit of Revelation, to come. invite him to open the eyes of your understanding. Beauty, 
majesty, just one drop, Jesus, just one drop is enough. Just one glimpse and everything else becomes worthless to us, just like the Apostle Paul prayed. Just one glimpse at you, the glory that you've purchased in Christ. We thank you for it. We stand in awe. For this reason, I bow my knees before God the Father, for our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. Lord, we bow our knees. We humble ourselves. Stand in awe of you, Jesus. Glorify your name and raise up a glorious church that perceives the riches of your inheritance. Raise up a glorious church in this city. Pray, thank you. We declare it. We declare that in Christ, we are, through him that loved us, we are more, we are more than a conqueror. We're more. Well, Lord, we take, we take hold. Take hold of that. Bless your people. Strengthen us. Deliver us. Fill us. Save us and heal us. And then send us, Lord. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. Lord, send your people. I'm declaring that Macon would be a city, an apostolic city, sending missionaries all across the earth, God, that this would be a missionary sending city. That, Lord, that the, there's so many churches in the city, and I thank you that as they come together, that they combine resources to become an apostolic city that is known for releasing solutions across the world. We prophesy this, that where the enemies come in to sow discord, we're asking for the unity that comes in the knowledge of Jesus, the unity of the faith, the unity of the Spirit, supernatural, that we preserve this thing, Lord. It's not something we can come up or, or conjure. It's as we're gazing on you, the glory of who you are. We're declaring this over making. We're declaring, Father, immeasurably more. This is the way that you would have us to pray. Immeasurably more. That we would be filled with all the fullness of God. This is how you taught us to pray. This, these prayers, the things that we're saying, they're in absolute insanity. How could, how could ever a statement be made that we might be filled with all the fullness of God? But yet, it's in there. Because you want us to change the way that we think. To renew the spirit of our mind. To think about, because we're looking at you. So come and help us. Help us in our weakness. Teach us to pray in the spirit at all times. In Jesus' name.